seemed fine, very cheerful, happy, chatty. I didn't see anything untoward, nobody were hanging around. You know, just seemed like normal, happy kids. Safe and well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you may, as it turned out, have been the last person to actually chat to them before they vanished. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And it's a mystery? Absolutely, yeah. Thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, or everybody around here, I mean, I've been speaking to a lot of people, um, and what they're saying is, you know, while there's no news, then there's still that glimmer of hope. And that's basically all we're all hanging on to. And there was nothing that Sunday evening that gave you a glimmer of suspicion that anything was wrong? No, not at all. Hello, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Banter, the podcast aimed at bringing you your dose of murder relaxation. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the True Crime Banter Podcast. It's been a minute. It has. We are back in action. Ooh, all of a sudden I'm like excited. Ooh, not only are we <laughs> back like, in action. I was like, oh, we're doing this. And I'm like, oh yeah, we're doing oh, this. Oh, <laughs> and doing it okay. Video. <laughs> doing it mediocre. And we are, uh, we, got a, we got a video version of this one, I oh, think. Yeah. We'll see how long, you know, as long as things turn out proper. Yeah. Yeah. Real proper like. Real proper like. I feel, uh feel rusty yeah you know we haven't been, uh, <laughs> <laughs> apparently Wait, we i forgot that i'm supposed to talk during yeah, this thing um kind of i thing. need to grab my phone because i've okay. got some shout outs to shout out go go during grab a bit it. of banter which please excuse me <laughs> break the fourth the way wall over there, there <laughs> yeah, we go yeah, yeah. all right welcome everybody i hope you uh uh, are are happy to hear our voices again or mm-hmm. see us on YouTube mm-hmm. and where you're actually I think YouTube's the only anyways um you're gonna be covering today's case yep do you want to talk about the names involved um I mean well I mean they already know yeah it's I was gonna say yeah 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 so so you'll figure it out I mean it's okay. Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman there we go this case has been done already like a lot of these have before but you know that's why we're here to give our own little take on it and yeah I mean it's extremely sad but all of these yeah. are you know but I guess this is kind of actually I guess this could be a warning right now about this does involve crimes against children Yes. So yeah, if that's not something sadly. you're okay with, none then of us are okay with it. But if you're sensitive to, to that, yeah. Episode. Yeah. Hopefully we've got another one coming up that doesn't involve kids, hopefully. Um, we do. The next one does not involve children, Good. per se. Okay. I, I think. I'll have to double check. Okay. But, uh, okay. So we're, we're going to hop into that. If you guys want to skip forward, I will put a little music break in between the bit of banter and the actual case itself. So if you guys want to... Skip forward, feel free. Um, for the bit of banter, though, I do have some shout-outs. We've gotten quite a bit of comments on our, uh, obviously, always Instagram, but YouTube videos. Oh. Daily. We're up to 
what, 220 subscribers almost? Okay. So, holla. Yeah. What's up, y'all? Oh, um, <laughs> we also hit over 1,000 views, finally. Okay. Which is cool. Small um, victories, A you lot guys. of people have really been enjoying the Missy Beavers episode. Okay. And so, good job on that. If you guys haven't Thank listened to that, go ahead, go back, listen. For comments, though. Oh, boy. We got some interesting ones. Okay. Like... <laughs> The first one I'm looking at here is Linda Larson. This was from a couple days ago. And this is on episode two, Grant's Amato. Oh, okay. And she says, where's episode one? I'd love to watch it. Oh, honey bun. So I was like, did I not put episode one up? But I definitely did. Oh, did she mean part one? Did she think you meant part? Like um, like there was a two-parter to it and she was confused why that she was only hearing that one? Maybe. If that okay. is the case, Linda, if you're watching this, leave a comment yeah. and clarify. But I will double check and verify and make sure, again, that it's not privated or unlisted yeah. or something. That episode one, Daniel Wozniak, should be there. If if you want to hear it, it's on Spotify or Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, a couple other places. And it's there's no video version of it. And so um, you will not be seeing us in that episode. Next comment okay god i feel rusty on trying to it's read okay. these uh crystal donovan where are you located so she actually commented <laughs> that's all they said <laughs> no this is me asking crystal. Oh. <laughs> just kidding no she so she commented right on here, the where jay cook and tanya van kylenborg episode which is one that i did from the vancouver bc couple oh the van yes yeah 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 okay and she said where are you located I came across you because I'm meeting with Detective Scharf next week and wanted to refresh my thoughts on the case. I'm just north of Seattle, so I'm just curious after your intro. Which, I mean, we're just south of Seattle, so welcome. I don't know if you're like trying when to be like... When did they post this? This was two days ago. Oh, weird. Yeah. Wait, yeah. why would they want to know where we're located? I don't know if they were trying to get in touch with us. I mean, obviously... Oh. If you do want to get in touch with us, there is a link tree where you can yeah. email us or obviously Reach Instagram. Out on, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Say what's up. Yeah. And yeah. Oh my um, gosh, so weird. Detective Scharf, it's been a while since we've yes, done that case. So I believe he was the one that worked on that case. But I, So she's I doing her to, own podcast maybe. Possibly. Or, she, or she's involved with the family or something. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Crystal, was, if you're watching this, please... Yeah, what the heck? Feel free. Let us know. Clarify. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'll, I'll I'll comment back and I'll. There's been a few. Um, I don't want to spend too long on this just because this case is long. But, um, there's been a few people that have wanted to talk and go over stuff and look into things yeah. and stuff. But like, no one ever follows through. And so it would be kind of cool to talk to somebody and like actually do something about something. Yeah. No. I mean, there was, like you said, there was. A, I remember a couple cases right when we first started this podcast that you there was a couple cases you talked about and people yeah. were like please i want to yeah get this out there so yeah yeah follow through people we're trying to help <laughs> well also too some people think they're ready to talk about personal things and they're not quite like once they're confronted with somebody actually being like yeah let's do something about it they're like oh never mind i thought i was ready and i'm not True. or whatever yeah. so no rush but when you're ready i'm when here you're good and yeah. ready we'll be good and ready and then yep. The last comment uh, is, actually, you know what? I think I have two. Yeah, I've got two more comments. So okay. the next one, um, Mike Wypasik, he commented on our first case together, the Missing Panama Hikers. Ooh, okay. And he, he uh, I don't remember exactly how he ended. This is another long one. It, he, 
everyone who comments on that i know leaves pretty it's long paragraphs lines. and paragraphs but, um he i think i don't remember how we ended that episode because there's a lot of theories about what what went on with those right girls but uh the way that i i view the the case or situation right now is kind of similar to how he perceives it and he says people want complex answers when the most logical seems too simple after spending the last few days looking at a variety of videos on this story at least two dozen of them so i get it you know we've been there yeah. you just, just get lost in the sauce uh the <laughs> the accident scenario seems the most logical explanation a very sad story regardless i agree which yeah there's a few cases like that where it's like uh, that might just be the answer yeah but then and there's some things that if you're like, i'm wait a minute i agree the pictures are just weird um the fact that one of Literally. them was missing the random one was missing mm-hmm. of the pictures is weird there's a lot of weird stuff but he's kind of right in a sense that sometimes you are like really searching for something that doesn't answers. exist yeah. Yeah, and I do believe, that was a while ago, that her ankle bone and her Mm -hmm. foot bone was found in the hiking boot. True. So we do know, because it was linked to DNA and stuff, that she has passed. And, I mean, she was obviously wearing her shoes at the time. And um, so we do know that they are dead. Or at least she is. You can assume the other one is too. Yeah, especially with the number of of bones that was... So there's not really a mystery to that part of where they're like off somewhere living in the woods or you know something you know mm-hmm. um but yeah you're he's probably right i think that's the general consensus yeah. yeah so this last comment um going back to the first comment of the gal that was possibly doing her own podcast or just yeah. maybe her own research in general uh this person gumshoe stories this was commented two weeks ago on our missy beavers case okay and i'm not gonna read it all here but he said one thing to understand on the additional video footage is that there was only four cameras situated in pairs in two opposite corners of the church. And they were only activated via motion. Mm. So not always, they weren't always recording. I was like, okay, good to know, you know. I clicked on his channel, and he only pretty much has videos regarding this Missy Beavers case. Oh, shoot, And he's got, like, video that he took going to the different locations and oh yeah so gumshoe stories whoa i'll have um, to check that out it's really it's kind of eerie yeah like, whoa, like that's creepy real, so. does it say any like in it did you watch any of them or did you I just did, see and it? a lot of them are just is he from there is that why he did he's it? he's gotta be right yeah because i mean like, unless he flew out i don't know yeah i, I, I want to say one of the videos was like parked where the ultimate yeah. would be parked in the because my grandma lives line. in that town so i'm like i could just ask her to go and take pictures gumshoe story okay just go oh, yeah. just all keep right. going um and then that's it wow. so that's all i have I for like comments it. we'll take um, it for a bit of banter to yes. end it i will be saying i'm gonna let people know that this is the second to last episode of season one forever what does that mean well, that means <laughs> you're retiring. looking at me like, what? Okay, Just let's keep get, going. get with it. Here, Here we go. go. Um, that means that uh, season one, it's been almost one year since we started this podcast. And by we, it's a long season, I mean you guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wish TV shows were one year long. I agree. And, and the next episode, I will be ending it and i it might be a two-parter might be just a long one-parter we'll see how things turn out it's yeah. gonna be a good one and local but also national and we'll see how things turn yeah, out 
If but you've been if you've been paying attention where we're from, you might be able to guess. Maybe. I mean, yeah. 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 And then also, if we do make it a two-parter, if you guys have comments or questions about like us or just random things you want to ask us, we yeah. do like a little Q&A thing. Like follow us on Instagram or leave a question on YouTube, whatever. Um, and maybe we'll do like a small section of that in one of the videos. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned for that. That'll be within probably in two weeks. So I don't think you're going to get an episode ne- next week, but the week of Halloween. Yeah, don't hold us to anything. Please. Yeah, just yeah. just go with it, guys. Okay. So yeah, that's all I have for the bit of banter. All right. All right. I so like let's it. go ahead and get right into the story of Holly Wales and Jessica Chapman. Let's do it. August 2002, the small, once-safe town of Soham, England, found itself turned upside down when word started spreading that two 10-year-old girls had up and vanished. The best friends were last seen playing in one of their bedrooms, and at around 8 p.m., when their mom went to check in on them, she couldn't find the girls anywhere in the home. This little market town had never had something happen like this before and everyone was sent into a panic. The two girls in question were Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. These two had been best friends for years and were inseparable. They were often seen running around and laughing, and any time they could get outside, that's where you'd find them. Holly was more reserved out of the two, while Jessica was a lot more outgoing. Their personalities balanced each other well, and a big shared interest between the two of them was soccer. If they weren't playing it, they were watching it. These are the types of childhood friends that spent the whole day in class together, recess together, and then would come home and go straight to one another's houses. If you're fortunate enough, you've had one or two of these types of childhood friends before in your life. The kind where your family basically adopts your friend and vice versa. So on the afternoon of August 4th, their parents were inconsolable as the police and the community started an intense search for the girls who were always found together, but this time seemingly lost together. Police got to work trying to retrace the girls' last steps. As much as everyone was worried, there was still some hope that they had just wandered off and were maybe hanging out somewhere and just didn't know how to get home. Police spent some time gathering footage and eyewitness statements and come up with a pretty good timeline, so I'm going to lay it out for you guys. The girls had been at Holly's house earlier that day, reuniting after two weeks apart, since Jessica had been on vacation. Jessica was really excited to see Holly again and give her a necklace that she had bought while she was away, a necklace with the letter H on it with two little dolphins next to it. A family friend of Holly's had been over, but eventually returned home when the two girls had dinner with Holly's family. They changed into red soccer jerseys, representing their favorite team, Manchester United. On the back, they both sported the name Beckham, showing their support for their favorite player, the famous, of course, superstar David Beckham. Oh, I didn't know he played soccer. (laughs) You're so annoying. Just after 5 p.m., the girls asked Holly's mom to take a picture of them both wearing the jerseys. This is the last picture that they were in together, 
and the one you'll find pretty much everywhere when searching their names for this case. Yeah, I've got, people can't see me, I've got the picture pulled up on this iPad yep. in front of me, and like, it's hard for me not to just be staring at this while yeah. we're going over this case, right. because it's like, you're yeah. typical two and for those, 10 I mean, year old friends. You yeah, know, just, and for those that, maybe if you're driving or something, you can't look it up, or whatever, if you're doing something, um, Jessica Chapman, when you look it up, she'll be the girl on the right. She's yeah. got, you know, shoulder length, brown hair, super cute. And then um, Holly Wells is going to be on the left with a little bit longer blonde hair. So they're kind of that cute, like little opposites kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And they, yeah. they would be our age. Yep. Right now. I know. Isn't that weird? That was another thing I kept thinking of during this. The picture that we were just talking about shows the two girls standing close, beaming big smiles as they wear their favorite team's jersey. They headed upstairs after dinner to play on the computer, but eventually grew bored. For reasons nobody can figure out, the girls left the house without letting anyone know that they were leaving or where they were going. CC footage outside a nearby parking garage captures the girls walking together shortly after 6 p.m. Based on the direction they were headed, police and the families think that they were going to the local shops to buy candy, something that they regularly did. They were then seen on camera headed down a path that led to the local college. Witnesses placed the two girls in some neighboring roads near Holly's home walking towards the college. It's around 8 p.m. when the girls are discovered not playing in Holly's room, and the two families search the surrounding areas, thinking they were probably just nearby, until about 10 p.m. when they finally decided that they needed much more help, and they informed the authorities. Thankfully, the police took the search very seriously from the beginning. I mean, I don't think I really need to point out the obvious, but far too often we hear about, yeah, oh, they're just probably just ran away or whatever. But I think yeah. when there's children involved, not always, people tend to be like, well, they can't drive. They don't have any money to take a bus. Where yeah. would they go? One so of the things, something happened. Doing a little bit of research myself, I was just like, you don't hear a lot about uh, missing children nowadays, I feel like, uh, which is good. Yeah. But when you do, it seems like even nowadays they still take it pretty serious because yeah. there's not a lot of reason that a child would be missing. Yeah. And right? also, too, I mean, I think people have spent a lot of years trying to right the wrongs that happened before because so many bad things have happened because people didn't just err on, err on the side yep. of caution, take it serious and then decide. And I've heard that so much. And I'm sure you have too on all these podcasts that the frustration behind like, why not just take it serious and then find out that it's not as bad mm-hmm. versus vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, I mean, yeah. sidetrack you often hear, well, it's because budget constraints or, yeah. you know, they're, it, they just, it didn't seem like a big deal, yeah. but it's like, no no and so figure it out yeah yeah nowadays it's good to hear even 20 years ago they were yeah also it's the uk they're way better than us anyway true on a televised press conference a policeman said this is extremely out of character they haven't been missing before these are very bright young girls the search party set up base camp at the girls elementary school and before they knew it Three police forces had gotten involved, and the search parties grew by the dozens. Every day, people from far away traveled to help look for the girls, using that last famous soccer jersey photo to help keep their image alive. 
Everywhere you looked, posters and flyers covered the area for miles. For days and days, people showed up in the rain, even searching in the dark, doing anything they could do to help find him. As time went on, although nobody said it, police couldn't help but feel that the girls had met with harm and weren't just hiding out somewhere. The community was baffled because everyone knew everyone here. If they had seen the girls in trouble or needed something, anyone in the area would have helped them in a heartbeat. The going theories were either stranger abduction or some terrible accident and they just hadn't been found yet. Both the girls' parents appeared on TV doing a press conference. With tears in their eyes and cracking voices, the moms and dads begged for anyone to come forward if they knew anything or saw something. They were both also adamant that both the girls were taught about stranger danger. They had no doubts that the girls would have ran away from anyone trying to harm them or at least knew better than to go with anyone they didn't know. Even the girls' school teacher said they spoke about stranger danger very often in the classroom, and the girls would have known better. With the town being so small and the girls being very smart and aware of safety measures, police started leaning on the theory that perhaps they were approached by someone they knew. Of course, nobody wanted to think like that, but this is where the evidence was leading them. With the parents and the community growing more desperate each day, the reward for the girls' return grew to 1 million pounds, just over 1.1 million U.S. dollars, back in 2002. Yeah. As the next phase in the investigation, police started the process of rounding up the local sex offenders and even going as far as questioning another 260 offenders from just the U.K. in general. This unfortunately led nowhere. As word spread across the country, the girls' favorite player, David Beckham, made a televised plea for their safe return. Speaking to the girls directly into the camera, he asked the girls to come home and said that they wouldn't be in any trouble and all anybody wanted was for them to come home safely. Yeah, one of the things that's kind of, um, it didn't really hit me till now, but the fact that they're wearing his jersey and they're both, you know, matching in that sense, it kind of plays into the fact that it would be more noticeable, I think, for somebody to remember seeing them yeah. somewhere. It'd be a lot more easy or recognizable rather than just two random 10-year-old girls, you know, looking like 10-year-old girls. It's right. in r- bright red David Beckham yeah. jerseys. And so I think the fact that um, even, granted, like you said, you know, it kind of news of this, spread like wildfire but the fact that he's able to get out there and people who maybe weren't taking it as seriously i mean he's like an icon over there yeah so he his ability to get people more involved right and be a part of it um i don't think a lot of especially for like local stuff yeah i don't think a lot of massive celebrities like that would take that step yeah Soon after this, a man came onto police's radar. His name was Ian Huntley. He was 28, and he happened to be the caretaker of Soham College. After police released that before-mentioned CC footage of the girls walking towards the shops for candy, police were asked to come forward if they remember seeing the girls that day, and Ian told them that he did see them and that they were headed towards the library. It turns out that before this inquiry, there was a couple odd things that happened with Ian. When a policewoman was parked at the college with her colleague, Ian actually walked up to them and started to chat. This policewoman, in her interview, 
said people usually ask her stuff about the vehicle, like what do all the buttons do and how fast can your car go and blah, blah, blah. You know, people are with that kind of stuff. But she said that the first thing he asked her was, how long can DNA evidence last? Hmm. I know, right? (laughs) I know. Just a random question. She said she was very thrown off by this, but, you know, police are trained to keep things cool. And they're like, huh, you know, they just take note with a stoic face. They don't want to give anything away. This same policewoman returned to the college since the girls were last sighted nearby where Ian was, you know, he was over there. And Ian was there again. She said she asked him if she could go in. And he said the school was locked and wasn't sure when it would be unlocked, even though he had the keys and he was the caretaker and could unlock it. He then... You just never know. (laughs) He then, out of nowhere, just offered up this information that the former caretaker of the grounds left under, quote, dubious circumstances, end quote, and that he still had the old set of keys to the school when he left, And that he probably has been coming and going and doing questionable things on the property and that we just haven't seen him or know about it. Okay. And so she logs this away as another weird fucking thing with Ian. we've got a lead. Yes. This policewoman reported this to her supervisor and he told her, well, if you think he's someone to look at, then call the hotline. So... This is kind of where I was, when I was looking this up, I guess, in my mind, I thought this was a straightforward thing where the police are kind of all connected. It's a small town. So, like, Mm -hmm. if you thought something was weird and you're on the police force, would you not just, like, go to the person who's in charge of this and be like, hey, this guy's weird? But I guess kind of what I'm gathering and also a little bit of just kind of common sense is that there was probably a whole separate entity working on this and that the police force there was probably some people not quite as involved yeah maybe maybe out doing searches stuff like that and there's people that are working actually on like interviewing people and stuff like that yeah this case so instead of like like they probably have a whole hotline dedicated just about like weird people they've seen or stuff like that and so instead Mm. of like going to somebody they probably just filter everything and so anyway i couldn't really figure it out but that's just my guess on that i guess i don't yeah, fucking know hmm. it was very also just general she maybe she was training or something it was her i don't know and she wasn't high up enough to go talk to someone right away i don't know i don't know yeah so that's the first thing she said that she did she got home that night and she called the hotline it was like yeah this guy's fucking weird i've had two weird things happen with him she also said um in this documentary i watched that his eyes were really weird which we've heard that numerous yeah, amounts of times yeah that. She said got, they were sunken and dark and there was nothing yeah. there. I'll tell you what, side note, have you ever come across somebody or how often do you come across? Because you deal with a lot of people throughout the day. Yeah. How often do you come across someone that you're like, you give me the heebie-jeebies? Um, at least once a week. Yeah. But I think because, you know, I'm in a coffee stand or whatever, I feel a little bit safer. I'm like locked up in there, you know? See. Um, but I do and... I think I've mentioned this before, like especially females will get what I'm saying when you meet a man and there's nothing there behind the eyes and it's almost like they're talking to you like you're not a person and they're kind of looking at you like you're not a human. It's very much like a, ooh, you're a thing and it's very creepy. Thankfully, I don't get it a lot, but yeah. 
so now that makes me wonder because very much like murdery vibes for sure i get that on occasion with some people i deal with maybe like once a month okay and as a guy it's not often where i'm like you you've got bad intentions right you know but like i wouldn't want to be alone with him or something yeah there's something in in some of these people's eyes where you're like you're in a whole different space right now it feels like yeah but then there it it makes me think of dexter except dexter is a whole lot better at being animated yeah 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 like it's there's no emotion there's no like when you smile there's no like a yeah uh what smile with your eyes type thing it's just like all yeah it's uh yeah so yeah this is that's this dude yeah 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 he's talking like a normal person but you can tell he's not a normal fucking person yeah yeah so i've mentioned a few times now that soem is a very small community so small that both girls actually knew ian's longtime girlfriend a woman named maxine carr Hmm. she was an assistant teacher at the girls school and they both actually absolutely loved maxine Apparently, she had applied for a full-time position, but she was not approved for it. So I, she was going to move on, and the girls were actually, like, really heartbroken and wrote her this really cute card. Okay, and yeah yeah. 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 And they made this card. They were like, I'm sorry. We're going to miss you. You're the great teacher. Things like that, you know. So Brian Farmer, one of the main detectives on this case, went to Ian and Maxine's house to question the two about anything they might know. Everything was weird about this interview, apparently. Detective Farmer asked Maxine, since she knew the girls, about how the girls were taught stranger danger in school, and then he asked if she thought that either one of them, even though they've been taught, would they, do they have the personality that they might still get into a car or something like that, right? Even though they've been taught, are they still kind of like that, you know? Before Maxine could even say anything, Ian jumps in with Hollywood, but Jessica would probably put up a fight. Hmm. Which I don't know if we've mentioned. Ian is the voice you guys heard at the very beginning of this episode. Oh, yeah. Sorry, so, guys. Yeah. Sorry. We, I think we might have skipped over yeah, that. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. So he just, Jessica would have, maybe not Holly, though. Yeah. Jessica would put up a fight. But yeah. Probably not Holly. And, of course, Detective Farmer's like, how the fuck would you even know that? You don't know the girls. Maxine knows the girls. Also, too, they were being interviewed together, which I think is a big no-no, but hopefully people have learned by now to separate people and, you know. Mm -hmm. So then the detective, of course, he's like, that's fucking weird, right? So he's like, all right, kind of like the other policewoman. He's like, tick. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So then he asks, you know, can you explain to me more about what happened when you saw them that day walking towards the library? And this has been up, brought up multiple times in anything you see where people say over and over again, whether Ian's being interviewed or someone else is like, oh yeah, that Ian guy, it's, everyone says, yeah, he was the last person to see him. Even he said it. He says it in his interviews too. Right, like, yeah. So yeah, what I was they the last heard at the very beginning him. was, it seems like he is the last person. Yeah. Yep, and we'll play it again for you yeah. here here in a minute. But yeah, and you know, someone points out, you know, yeah, you're the last person to see him. He goes, yeah, it would seem so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So weirdo. tell me more about yeah, that, exactly. My so he asked him, um, tell me more about what happened when you saw him. His story is, Maxine and him were out walking their dog, 
and the dog got dirty. When they came back home, Maxine went upstairs to take a bath and Ian went out to the front yard to rinse off the dog. He said this is when the girls walked by and asked how Maxine was, um, how was she doing, you know, because she wasn't at the school anymore. They were like checking up on her kind of and then they headed off. You know, he said, yeah, she's doing okay. And then they headed off. He had Ian retell this story over and over and over, probably to the point that Ian was probably like irritated, you know, mm-hmm. just want to make sure he didn't miss anything. And nothing randomly changes. Yeah, which most of the time it does, of yeah. course. The detective was, for how simple the story was, very suspicious about it. He thought it was really odd that the girls didn't inquire about the dog or ask to pet the dog or Ian would leave that out. He had him go over this over and over again. What else did they say to you? Did they walk past the fence? Like the very most specific questions. Mm -hmm. And it was always like, no, they were right there. They asked how she was. I said, good. They left over and over again. He thought that the conversation sounded more like Ian was talking with a grown-up and interacting with other grown-ups than a conversation between a child. Yeah. And, you know, and he goes... Kids love animals. They love dogs. Why would the 10-year-olds, two 10-year-old girls not ask to pet the dog, ask like, oh, come here, doggy, or anything about the dog? It's not the end-all, be-all, like, this is deciding factor, but he's like, "Mm, kids are, yeah, nice try. Like, you know, just a little thing, just a little thing there. During this time that the girls were missing, Ian Huntley was doing interview after interview with the media. He was the last person to see them, and he didn't mind telling his story over and over again. Looking back at media footage, too, you can even see Ian at most of the gatherings for the girls. The little Mm get-togethers, the organized, you know, search parties on footage. They have pointed out, oh, he's right there, yep. Which, not unheard of, especially for a small community all banding together. Mm -hmm. A week and two days later... A report came in of some disturbed dirt in the wooded area not too far away. It looked a lot like two shallow graves, and the police were called out to investigate. The parents of the girls were called out, too, to wait around just in case this led to anything. For hours, police slowly brushed away dirt from the mound and searched the surrounding area for anything that might be helpful. But in the end, it turned out to be hills of dirt dug by badgers. The community exhaled a huge sigh of relief, clinging on to the last bit of hope that maybe they're still out there somewhere. As the days dragged on and everyone held out hope, one last plea went out from David Beck, detective superintendent of the police force. He made a televised appearance where he spoke directly to Holly and Jessica's kidnapper, potential kidnapper, asking him to bring the girls back and that they would get the police's full cooperation. He stated, I have left a personal voice message and text message on Jessica's phone. I urge you to read it and get a hold of me so we can figure this out together. End quote. They believed the girls had already met with foul play, but they were just hoping the kidnapper would fall for this Mm -hmm. and turn on Jessica's phone and get a location. Oh, so she actually had a phone. Yeah, I know, back in 2002, right? It's still, though, little... It's not really a spoiler, but it's never been found to this day. They don't okay. know where it is. And also, 
technology back then too it wasn't like no it was no, just no one find little my iPhone nokia like three button things yeah, yeah. You're, you're triangulating yeah. where it could be and in a small town exactly it's like you could be anywhere yeah but knowing that she last would be yes, there though exactly so this led nowhere unfortunately and with the pressure mounting to find these two girls 12 days in the decision was made to take david beck off of the case and replace him with chris stevenson Stevenson went over the case from the very beginning, basically started from scratch with a fresh set of eyes. He decided to focus on the last person to see the girls, which of course was Ian Huntley. He thought it was just too bizarre that wherever you went, Ian Huntley was there. After this case got reignited by the new lead, Ian Huntley's name was everywhere. The media took a big interest in him, and when a local reporter, Jeremy Thompson, called for an interview... He said he was too busy that evening, but he was available right now. So with that, they headed over to speak with him. Fine, very cheerful, happy, chatty. I didn't see anything untoward, nobody were hanging around. You know, just seemed like normal, happy kids. Safe and well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you may, as it turned out, have been the last person to actually chat to them before they vanished. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And it's a mystery? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, or everybody around here, I mean, I've been speaking to a lot of people, um, and what they're saying is, you know, while there's no news, then there's still that glimmer of hope, and that's basically all we're all hanging on to. And there was nothing that Sunday evening that gave you a glimmer of suspicion that anything was wrong? No, not at all. Huntley wasn't the only one giving interviews. Maxine Carr, his girlfriend, also had a few words to share about the girls that she knew in school. Oh. So we'd already got the Ian Huntley interview, and then I went back to my live position on the high street, going straight in and interview live with Maxine Carr. You knew the girls. What, what were they like? Tell us a bit about them. Lovely, really bubbly girls. Um, they're ever so funny. They're brilliant. They're kind to everybody. Um, they wouldn't say a bad word about anybody. And they love their families and everything, which is why nobody believes that they would ever run away. Um, they was very close to all their family. Tell us something about this card you're holding. Uh, this is something I'll probably keep for the rest of my life, I think. Um, it's what Holly gave me on the last day of term. She was very, very upset because I didn't get my job. And um, she just gave me this with a poem on the inside saying... Um, to a special teaching assistant, really, and we'll, we'll miss her a lot, and we'll see her in the future. And that's the kind of girl she was. Did you catch that at the end? Well, that's that's the card that you mentioned that they wrote when she didn't get the job. Is that yes. right? Okay. But and yes, I yes. caught it. <laughs> I know of it, but I wonder if yeah. our listeners yes. caught it. So Jeremy Thompson, the reporter, he was like the big star of this little town, right? He was like the reporter. Um, there's so much footage of him. He's been in so many documentaries about this thing. And yeah, um, he had said when interviewed that he thought it was a very normal interview and as they're walking away, his production team said, isn't that weird that she said that's the kind of girl Holly was and not is? Mm-hmm. And he goes, I didn't even catch that. And then he goes, then I got the weirdest feeling after that. Like, what are the chances that she said that 
and she happens to be dating the guy that last saw the girl. And he's like, this yeah. is just fucking weird. Yeah, and of and course, all these people that have had weird individual interactions have not talked. So there's all these like weird like, well, who knows? Versus like if anybody even just mentioned to someone else that might have, there might have been this little like, yeah, he did do something weird kind of thing, you know, and it kind of sparks this. Okay. It's it's just a bunch of like small little weird things that people aren't thinking much of because they're probably so focused on finding them. They're not thinking somebody did something. They're thinking, where are they? Let's go get them. Right. At this okay. point, at least at this uh, point. You're talking about in the community. Yeah. Okay. So he he now the reporter is like yeah that's kind of fucking weird and yeah. he's now talked to two people that happen to be in a relationship the last yeah, person little, yeah. to see them and then somebody just referred to them in past tense and they're dating it's yeah, just weird the the thing is even like listening back to that interview the slang that sometimes i guess people in the uk use um or even yeah. around here i agree like, you know they was they was talking to someone over here yeah. like you can use a past tense verb adverb whatever it is and um not mean it to be past tense right but the the way i mean you don't really end a sentence in was, With was like that. exactly and you so, don't want to read too far into it but you it know did, it, it does highlight that the way she said it there wasn't very slangish it was yeah, very much exactly um, it wasn't used in the middle of something or yeah, whatever yeah 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 and so i mean good on imagine I'm going to let you continue, but yeah. good on the production assistant to right. pick up on that. Yeah. So behind the scenes, police were actually narrowing in on Ian and Maxine. They were almost 100% sure that Ian knew something and pretty sure Maxine might have known something. There was just wasn't enough proof or anything at the time, just weird interviews and body language and stuff. At this time, police called in phone experts to examine the records of Jessica's cell phone, which, once again, has never been recovered, just based off of the reports they gave from the phone mm-hmm. company. When pulling records, they saw that her phone last pinged off of a tower in Burwell, a neighboring town. Oh. Parts of Sewam, where they lived, used only a few main towers. Only parts of the city, closer to the outskirts used or had their locations bounced off of the Burwell Tower. There was only certain parts that connected that tower. So you're kind of narrowing it down. Yeah. Yeah, At least a a That's where it was last. Yeah, the phone was turned off around like 626 or something. You can find it somewhere. Their expert walked the same path that the girls were believed to have walked. And when he got back, he tracked his phone with him that entire route that he thought you know that they would have taken there's only so many main roads here based off of walking past ian's house and how they would have gotten home supposedly right so he walked that path and then compared his own phone records and where his phone also bounced off of the burwell towers was right where ian's house was Hmm. right before jessica's phone was turned off right the police were on the right track but were trying different tactics to flesh out evidence or fold the culprit, right? The police called a town hall meeting, asking everyone in the community to attend and essentially told everyone in the room, look at your neighbor, look at your friends, even your family. How well do you really know them? They basically wanted to rattle Ian. That was it. 
They weren't trying to scare anybody. There was Mm -hmm. no, this was a complete tactic. But basically letting Ian know and the community know it's someone here. Yeah. Basically wanted to make him mess up. Not going to lie, I thought you were going to say, now look back at me. I'm on a horse. (laughs) Okay. But. Anyway. I could see that though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but you're right because it is going to induce some sort of um, not. Well, it is kind of a little bit of a panic. You you want him to know we're looking at you, buddy. But I'm saying throughout the community. Yeah, there's going to be panic throughout the community too because why are all of a sudden the police are at this point though thinking that something around us one of our neighbors might be responsible i mean you're almost two weeks in basically people have got to know something's going on and when looking back at footage ian is in the front row of this meeting Hmm. shocker and he's probably shitting bricks oh yeah i hope so friday august 16th the case heats up Holly and Jessica's parents have a press conference just letting everyone know that they're holding out hope and they want their children back. They're basically keeping themselves in the camera, keeping the names alive, keeping this going. A press conference they've done many times since their disappearance. Only a few hours later, a surprise press conference from the police was held. They announced a 28-year-old man and a 25-year-old woman have been taken into the police station outside of the county to give a witness testimony. Hmm. The media and the public was in a complete frenzy. After weeks, there was finally movement, and it was local. Outside the media circus, Ian and Maxine were being interviewed at separate locations, asking to give their stories over and over again. In Ian's recorded interview, he states the same thing that we've been over. He was outside watching the dog, The girl stopped by, asked about Maxine, and kept on walking. The interviewer asked questions like, did anything else happen? Are you sure? Did they step inside the house? Did they come into the garden? Did you come into any physical contact with them? Ian appears calm and collected for most of this, until he's asked to describe Holly. Something shifts in his face, and he looks off, and is almost somewhere else completely. After some silence, he says, blonde. More silence. Thin. He then goes completely silent for more than a minute, which is a really long time in a quiet room with nobody talking. He then puts his head in his hands. Another quiet minute goes by, and he takes a big, deep breath. He shoots his head up, and he says, I can't remember anything else, as if, wanting to end the interview on his own terms. He didn't want to describe how she wouldn't fight back. No, he didn't want to do anything. Not this time. Across the way, Maxine appeared calm and bubbly, actually, as she spoke about the day that the girl stopped by before disappearing. She told the interview all about the meal that they had in the day and the chores that she did around the house. Nothing really came of this interview. During their simultaneous questionings, the police were searching their home at the exact same time for anything useful. Later that night, the two were released and went to stay at a hotel for the evening. Despite their outward confidence, their story was falling apart. Around the time they're heading home and trying to get their lives back on track, the police department gets a call from a woman who lived 100 miles away. 
She said she knew Maxine and had heard her alibi for the night that the girls came by and had proof that her story was complete bullshit. She said she had a party at a pub 110 miles away and Maxine ended up crashing her party. She was 110% sure the date and the time and even had picture proof. She sent the pictures right over and the police got to work. Sure enough, a couple slides in, you see Maxine, all cheesy, definitely drunk, leaned up against a friend in a big group photo shot. Oh, it just dated and timed and everything the same time that she was supposed to be home. She's out of town. Police instantly knew. Ian had killed the girls. Got him. Many detectives at this point during this documentary watch were like, it wasn't until the pictures that proved that Maxine wasn't there. It wasn't like, oh, I found like blood or something or, or caught him in a lie. It was catching her in a lie. That's how they knew he was lying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they were like, they, and they said it wasn't even like a gotcha. It was like this super sad, like the girls are gone. Yeah. Kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And I won't go too far into it um, because, I mean, I don't want to make this like even longer than it is, but I also kind of want to like give the appropriate amount of like, I guess, attention to this too, because anywhere you look at this case, it's really, really, really long. And this episode is probably going to be longer than some of our other ones. Hopefully not by too much, but it is very complex. You have not just one person, but you have the girlfriend's background. And then, you know what I mean? You have two victims, like that kind of thing. And something with Ian is that he had a lot of charges before this that nobody knew about because he kind of fell through the cracks. So, like I said, I don't want to go too far into it, but he had a lot of like sexual assaults with girlfriends and it's very 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 long he did like a very little amount of time we've heard this before yeah kind of thing and he basically moved to Soham and like basically started all over and nobody knew anything about him did he have a different name before no he just moved he he didn't even live that far away but he basically that the police though would be like hmm this guy's suspicious let's look into him oh he didn't have anything on his record that's what i'm saying he was never like charged charged there was oh, he didn't okay. do any time. Right. But he was like, um, I guess you could say he was accused of a lot of stuff, but yeah. like a lot of victims, they don't want to go through the process, they're embarrassed, they don't think they're gonna right. be believed, yeah. whatever. Or they were dating him at the time and they thought, Well, how can you get in trouble? You're dating him. It's consensual. Like you know. Yeah. Also yeah. keep and in also, mind this is like the nineties when this happened. Not, not only that, but even nowadays where it's like, you know, accusations are only yeah. accusations that there's bitterness between the two. There exactly. might be a reason. Yeah. I think that the people who are accusing him of being a piece of shit yeah. are probably not lying. Right. Not yeah. with this guy. No, exactly. But, so. of course, they don't know any of this. So, of course, you know. Yeah. They're yeah, not looking. Report, yeah. yeah. Now, granted, if you are, you know, an yeah. ex of his, maybe you might feel obligated to right. call up that hotline. Right. But... Again, that's not going to necessarily yeah. direct anyone, you know, to right. charging him with yeah. anything. So. And before he moves to Soham, he ends up meeting Maxine when she's pretty young in a bar. And they basically start dating and she basically gets brainwashed. And that's how they end up moving to this new town, posed as this couple that's starting over and is like a cute new couple in town, like that kind of thing. 
So nobody really pays attention. They're just a quiet couple. And then here we are. Yeah. So when the couple's getting interviewed or after they're done getting interviewed and they go to the hotel and they're searching the home during this time, the police were also searching the college where Ian worked, which obviously should have been done a while ago. In one of the rooms, they found two burned Manchester United shirts. The room that they were found in was a place that Ian said he did not have access to. Police work to put their evidence together. In the following day, the pair are finally arrested. For hours after their arrest, police spread out and search new areas of interest. Their main goal is to find the girls' bodies. Shortly after, a discovery was made and confirmed the girls' remains were found in a field not too far away, hidden by some brush. The mood in Soham changed immediately, from warm and welcoming to somber and gray and suspicious. The townspeople were in mourning and exhausted after searching and holding out hope for what I'm sure seemed like much longer than the two weeks it actually was. The town wanted to grieve quietly and asked the media to please leave, which they did respectfully. Police started their forensic examination of the crime scene, with the community held a vigil, and the people of Soham and all over come to pay their respects. At the scene, forensic ecologists discovered many disturbances in the areas that the girls were found. Holly's hair was discovered on a branch much taller than her, suggesting she was carried in, most likely on Ian's shoulder. There was also about seven feet of burned trees above the area, showing that the girls had an attempt at being burned, explaining why their jerseys were found earlier with burn marks on them. Mm-hmm. They also suspected an accelerant was used for flames to reach that high. Meanwhile, Ian Huntley is not cooperating with police, and he refuses to speak. He is even trying to act crazy to get his charges reduced or thrown out. Not the first time we've seen this. No. While he is sent off to be evaluated, Maxine Carr is told that direct evidence has led them to Ian being involved. She has a full-on breakdown and is charged with perverting justice. I'm guessing due to her fake alibi. She sticks by Ian for the meantime. I'm going to kind of, just because this is a long one, like I said again, I'm not going to spend too long on the court proceedings. It's pretty typical. Um, And also this whole podcast isn't about like courtroom stuff, you know. This really is more about the victims and stuff. Ian Huntley was eventually deemed fit to stand trial, and him and Maxine both entered pleas of not guilty. On the stand, Ian finally decided to tell his story, the truth apparently, according to Ian. He states that one of the girls had a nosebleed, so he took them inside and wanted to help clean her up. Holly fell into the bathroom somehow, fell into the actual bathtub, and died, apparently instantly, according to him. Apparently. Then Jessica started screaming, and when he tried to cover her mouth, he accidentally suffocated her. Nobody, of course, believes any of this. And all throughout his trial, Ian had maintained a very calm demeanor, answering questions quietly and slowly. It was the prosecutor's turn to question Ian, and he did not hold back. At one point, he started drilling into Ian about the motive for killing the girls, 
not believing for one second that this whole thing was some accident. He finally yelled at him, This whole thing was motivated by sexual desire and you know it. And this is when the mask fell. Objection, Your Honor. Ian screamed back at the prosecutor, finally showing everyone who he really was. Later, witnesses said that this was the most powerful moment of all. It was quiet for minutes after this. The prosecutor finally ended with, Is that what the girl saw that night when you lost your temper with them? Now for Maxine. For the first little while after they both separated, Maxine wrote to Ian in prison, telling him she stood by him, how she was in love with him, and how she intended to stick by him during this whole thing. After months and months went by, the letters to him in jail became fewer and fewer. Being away from him, she was starting to see and think more clearly and wanted nothing to do with him. She basically said all this same stuff on the stand, pointing to him in court, calling him that thing. She claimed she had nothing to do with any of this. It was finally December 2003, over a year after the murders, that the jury retired after six weeks of testimony to come back with a guilty-as-fuck verdict for Ian Huntley. Maxine is found guilty of perverting the court of justice, but not guilty of assisting an offender. Maxine got three and a half years. She was released after she served her term and moved immediately after this, receiving a new identity as well. It is said that she got married and had a child, who will most likely never know who mother actually is. Yeah, it makes you wonder her uh, decision to flip on him like that. Was that actually her, you know, coming to the light and seeing? I mean, it was after some time. Or This wasn't is it... just a flip. No, I know. Yeah. But how can I get a reduced sentence? How can yeah. I be, make myself look you know, less and less yeah. guilty in this situation. And being away so. from him, I mean, keep in mind, too, she was basically an abusive relationship. She was brainwashed. Yeah. yeah. So being away from him, yeah, might, maybe might with the help, help of her lawyer, clearer. was like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing. Maybe I wonder how much of it is actually, you know, the clarity of the situation and how much is, well, how can we get you the lightest sentence as yeah. possible? And uh, it makes you, I, I wonder if, Actually, I'll, I'll let you continue first. Ian got two life sentences. He never apologized in court. Down the line, he would be quoted as saying that he deserved to live and die in prison. He's accepted it and expresses remorse for the killings and for the pain he caused their families. He said he never once applied for parole because he doesn't deserve to get out. He doesn't want to put the families through that. He says he even sometimes thinks about what the girls would have done or been like, or what have they might have even looked like now if he hadn't have taken their lives. And they would have been 30. Well, taking Jessica's life by accident. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, so what I was going to say is I, I wonder uh, if the girls would have gone and, you know, how did he get them into their house, his house, in this amount of time not amount of time but how did he get them to come into the house and be comfortable with going into his house you know like they don't know him they, but they know maxine yeah and so that's why i'm saying she it seems like she played more of a role in knowing what was going to happen to these girls than 
oh, I just, you know, I'll, I'll create an alibi for why he didn't do it. Right. Because that's what it But what she it sounds wasn't like. home. Yeah, and so that's yeah. where, that's where I wonder I, I wonder what um It's believed that he lured them in saying Maxine was home. This is all obviously yeah. theoretical because he has not confessed to anything and said what happened. Well yeah. But well, he has said it was an accident. Yeah. Thank God he was there to help. And he let her in or whatever. But yeah, yeah. I mean that's Maxine was the gateway, obviously. It's also said, um, theorized, I should say, that Maxine knew about this. There were phone records showing that he had called her that same night. They don't know what they talked about. But I think people believe that Maxine knows more than she's saying. And a theory, a running theory, is that she gave him an alibi and basically said, like, don't say anything because I could lose my job working with children. Which I don't know if I'm really like, I don't really know because you wouldn't, if he told the police what he did, she wouldn't mm-hmm. just not be able to work with kids. She would be like fired and yeah, I, I mean, she wouldn't be able to do anything. No. And I think I'm, I'm caught up on her in this case right now. Like I wasn't before, but I'm just like, you know, the idea of, um, her needing to be separated from him to see the clarity of the situation. If you're brainwashed, do you did you guys move to this town with the under the impression that yeah, I'm probably going to do something to underage children or you know, like what there's no brainwashing when hey, I killed these two girls on accident. Yeah. Like there is no I don't think there's I mean there could be. I, I suppose there could be. Yes. What kind of brainwashing would... I mean, I don't know if it's know? like Stockholm Syndrome. Maybe. And yeah, I guess so. I mean, that would be the only way I could yeah. see it. Where she it's wants like, to protect you him. You are my savior pretty much. Yeah. You know? and, and if you did something bad, I'll help protect you. Yeah. If uh, if she could be the thing that keeps him out of trouble. And see, that's where now situations where if they have a conversation that night and she's mm-hmm. afraid of... Like, that's you're using that as your excuse. No, it's not, you know, I wanted to protect him. It's I didn't want to, I want to protect myself yeah. and my job. So there's, a, obviously, yeah. you know, we, we'll never know now. I but, know. And he, what, how weird is it to think that she could be around here somewhere too? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. maybe. I don't know if she's still in the I don't UK know. I don't or not. Yeah. I don't know what she, I mean, I know what she looks like. But, yeah. I was going to say, she's got know. a pretty distinct face. Yeah. 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 But. Weird. Isn't it weird they would have been 30 right now? Yeah. They'd be... I mean, it's even weirder looking at the picture. So if you guys aren't driving or if you are, pull over and check it out. Or They're super cute. Yeah, that it's, picture. I mean, even if they weren't like super cute, it would still be sad, obviously. But it's just a really cute, like innocent best friends photo. That's the last yeah. thing. It's a picture that you like would see people post the day they died. Isn't that Thursday weird? Nowadays. Yeah. It's not just like, yeah, I think see, rarely. So that was a thing that... I I know the case, but when I went back in looking into it, I was like, because you, you said, you know, the the two girls, you know, in red soccer jerseys. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that kind of sounds familiar. Yeah. Let me look this up. I didn't realize that literally that was like hours before was yeah. that when that photo was taken. Which they is didn't, they didn't really choose, rare. Yeah, they didn't choose to, to take a very, um, uh, you know, photo and put it out there and be like, this is the best 
photo that we have of the two of them yeah. together. It's like, no, this was what they looked like the last time they were seen together. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I know, right? Sad. I know. So, yeah, that is the case. Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that to the light as... We always say around here. Yeah, it's still weird to say, to say thank but you, but yes. We'll keep saying it. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you guys, I don't know if you guys have any theories or, uh, you know, thoughts on the, the situation, the case, if you remember the first time you heard this and, you know, if we brought any new info to yeah. your guys' thoughts, let us know. Um, again, just to end this real quick, feel free to leave some comments, follow us, yeah, subscribe. Please. Um, any questions you have for a little q a video yeah. if you want to make some let us know uh and i think that's really about it yeah so like i said probably no no episode next week but a nice little season finale the we'll week see. after that yeah yeah we'll see all right well thank you for listening yeah. this has been the true crime band podcast and we will talk to you next time Catch you with the adios